Hello, everyone. We are so excited to be able to share with you today. Our seminar series here is called the Backyard Garden Blueprint. Um, I'm Paul Dysinger, and I'm really excited, actually. I've invited my dad, Edwin, to come and join me for this seminar series. Uh, he has just a huge wealth of information and knowledge, and it's a real joy and privilege. Actually, we do quite a bit of teaching together, don't we, Dad? It's a lot of fun. Um, we do. It's a it's an honor and a privilege for me to get to work um, for and with my son. <laughs> yeah, we really enjoy working together, and so. We are very excited to be able to walk through some of these basic principles of building your garden. Uh, we're going to be going through six sessions here. The first one here is on planning your garden because we really want to set a foundation and having a good plan really is at the base of that foundation. Then from there, we're going to move on into building healthy soil and getting into other aspects of your garden as well. And I guess maybe we should just give a quick little... Um, introduction to us for anyone who doesn't know us. So we've had a garden uh, ever since I was born. I mean, I, I feel like my, my mom is an avid gardener. And so everywhere that we went, we always planted a garden, always growing things. Uh, but it wasn't until a bit later that uh, my dad ended up partnering with his brother, John, on Bountiful Blessings Farm in Tennessee. And we grew commercially for several for many years. And um, I worked with the family farm for several years. Yeah. For 10 uh, years. Yeah. Yeah. For 10 years. Um, I didn't work with the family farm for 10 years, but uh, you were doing the commercial farming for 10 years. I came in and I, I guess I worked for, it was a good number of years with you guys too, though. And then I branched off and started. Yeah. Then I branched off and started um, my own business teaching people how to grow their own food. Uh, and we kind of focus on more of a home scale, homesteader scale, and just gather from that experience growing 50 to 70 different varieties of vegetables, herbs, berries, all year round, summer, winter gardening, and uh, just kind of gather from that experience and pull it together. And our goal is to try and make things as simple and as easy as possible for you uh, to be able to go and implement this in your garden. So sound good? Awesome. Let's go ahead and uh, get started here. So the Backyard Garden Blueprint, session one, planning your garden. And we're going to go through three parts in this particular session. Part one is what to grow. That involves choosing what you're going to grow in your garden. And we'll give you some tips and tricks on that. Part two is where to grow it. Uh, that includes mapping it all out and making kind of an actual visual plan for your garden. And part three is when to grow it. That includes creating the planting calendar, which can be a real um, blessing if you have a planting calendar that's put together in an intelligent uh, and simple way can really take a lot of overwhelm off of your garden plan. And we got something really exciting we're going to share with you uh, for that part as well. So, but let's go ahead and jump right in and start with part one, which is choosing what to grow. All right. So here's just some basic tips and tricks that uh, we want to give you to make it, hopefully make it a little bit easier for you to get started with planning your garden. Number one is we encourage you to make a list of what you would like to grow. And it may sound like a very simple and basic 
task right there, right? Uh, but it, it's actually a pretty crucial one. And we're gonna be giving you in the resources for this class, there is a garden planning worksheet that actually just breaks this down and makes it very simple. There's a column where you can just write a list of what you wanna grow. And when you're doing that, we encourage you to be as specific as possible. So when it comes to growing cucumbers, do you wanna grow pickling cucumbers or do you wanna grow slicing cucumbers? Uh, when it when you're growing tomato tomatoes, do you want to grow cherry tomatoes or do you want to grow uh, beefsteak tomatoes? The more specific you can be, the the better it is. And uh, because when it comes down to it, you're going to make this list of the things that you want to grow, and then you're going to need to choose the specific variety that you're going to grow of that crop. Right. And so if you know that you want to grow pickling cucumbers, then you can easily go to the pickling cucumber section of the seed catalog or wherever you're going to purchase your seeds. And it'll narrow those options down for you when you're trying to pick a specific variety. So then um, once you've made that list of what you would like to grow, and then the next step is to choose those specific varieties like we just talked about here. Right. And so when it comes to, you know, cherry tomatoes, do you want to grow a sun gold cherry tomato or, you know, some other kind of cherry tomato? And here's where, it, you know, it can get a little bit, um, you know, when you open a seed catalog and there's 50 different varieties of tomatoes, uh, you know, it can be a little overwhelming to try and figure out which one should I grow, right? You got to, you have to make a decision. So we're going to give you a few tips and tricks that can help narrow those options down for you. Uh, and another thing is that we also are giving you a resource in the resources for this class as well, uh, download that you can, you'll have a list of our favorite varieties of vegetables. So you can either use some of these tips to pick your own variety, or you could go and you could just grow, try growing one of our favorite varieties, which is kind of cool too. And uh, when it comes to choosing your specific varieties, one of the first things to make note of is the different types of seeds. There are different, how many of you have heard of different types of seeds, like heirloom seeds, GMO seeds? There are many of you that have seen or heard of these different types of seeds. And when you open a catalog, you're going to see these different labels on them, right? So let's uh, talk a little bit about these different types of seeds and what is involved with them. Uh, first of all, good seeds and good soil really are the two pillars of a successful garden. Without high quality seed, all other activities are moot. That's a quote from Elliot Coleman in the New Organic Gardener. So what about GMO, hybrid, open pollinated, and heirloom seeds? Uh, Dad, do you want to give a quick definition on, on what a GMO seed is? Yeah, a GMO seed is is basically a, a a seed where the genetics have been modified in a laboratory, and um, gene material from some outside plant, some other species, or some other um, source than the parent plant has has been transferred into uh, the genetic material of the parent plant. So um, anyways, it's, it's the, the key thing is that it's done in a laboratory and it does not happen naturally. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of radical. An extreme example of this would be they have taken 
like spite a gene from spiders and put it into the glands of goats so that when they milk the goat, spider silk will come out with the milk. I mean, it's just really weird, crazy stuff. Uh, that's a, that's an extreme example in agriculture. Uh, a more classic example of it would be where they have taken a gene from a bacteria, soil borne bacteria called Bacillus thuringiensis BT. And they have, uh, they have, biologically inserted that gene into corn so that if worms eat the corn they they're inserting the bacillus itself actually oh the bacillus ah yeah so the bacillus itself like crazy so if the worms eat the corn it they they die i mean that sure makes you feel really good about eating that corn too doesn't it (laughs) right so Um, The good news is that when it comes to GMO seeds, they are not readily available for home gardeners. Because they are patented, farmers that use them have to have a contract with the the company that patents them, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, That being said, we do highly encourage picking seed companies that take what's called the safe seed pledge. And we'll talk about that in, in a second. But basically that that means that they will not sell any genetic knowingly sell any genetically modified seeds and i believe that they even try and make sure that the seeds that they sell have not cross-pollinated or or anything um, with genetically modified seeds so those are gmo seeds the next one is hybrid seeds and these are the offspring of a cross between two or more varieties usually of the same species so uh, a great example of this is if you cross a golden retriever with a poodle, what do you get? You get a golden doodle, right? And those are the same species. It's a, it's a natural cross that can happen very naturally in nature. Um, but they, you know, you get this cross that has some of the characteristics of both of the parents. And so hybrids, they'll often... Uh, breed hybrids because they're wanting to get a specific characteristic from one plant and a specific characteristic from the other. Uh, The interesting thing with hybrids is that if you breed two golden doodles together, what happens? Some of the offspring look more like a golden retriever and some look more like a poodle, right? It kind of goes back some of them go back to the parents. Um, so they, they don't brood, breed true to type. And it's the same with the plant world. If you save the seed from a hybrid and try and grow it, there's a high likelihood that the plant that you grow is going to revert back to closer to one of its parent uh, varieties. So it's not going to grow the same type of tomato that you grew the first time with that hybrid. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. And then uh, open pollinated uh, is basically a non-hybrid variety. It's one that can reproduce itself in kind. If you, if you grow, if you save the seed and grow it, it's going to grow the exact same type of tomato every single time. And, and heirloom is basically a open pollinated seed that's been around for a long time, right? Yeah, heirlooms are are handed are you know heirloom seeds are seeds that are handed down from one generation to the next, just like heirloom um, articles of furniture or you know keepsakes or whatever. Yeah, so heirloom by definition is open pollinated. Uh, it's just good to know the term because 
you're going to come across it when you're trying to pick out your seeds, right? It's going to say, this is an heirloom seed. So both heirloom and open pollinated yeah. seeds, you, you can easily save the seeds from them and use them in your garden and they will reproduce uh, true to type. So the the main thing to, to keep in mind, the difference between heirloom and open pollinated is that heirlooms, they're both open pollinated. It's just that heirlooms have been passed down from one generation to the next. There are, there are new open pollinated varieties of, of plants being introduced every year um, using traditional breeding methods. And that's the way all the, um, all the different varieties we have now have, have been developed that way. And they, they are the new open pollinated varieties are, are developed all the time by, by hybridizing first you, you cross two different, um, two different varieties within the same species, trying to get different traits. And um, you, you, you take the, the first generation of offspring, that's the F1 generation. If you're wanting to develop a new open pollinated variety, you'll take that generation and, and um, sow those seeds and select those, the, the offspring that, that carry the traits that you want most. And, and then you will um, breed those ones among themselves and um, so their offspring, and and you'll do that about seven or eight times. And after you've done it seven or eight times, you'll begin to have a um, an open pollinated variety that breeds true, mostly true. You know, it'll be ninety percent true um, to to the parent. And that's a really good thing to note, because when you are looking in the catalogs, the hybrids seeds should in the catalog, they should have an F1 or F2 next to their name. It should list the generation of hybrid that it is next to the name. And that's a very quick and easy way to know whether a seed is a hybrid seed or not is does it have F1 and F2. The seed company should be listing that next to each hybrid um, name, letting you know what generation it is. Yeah, it's almost always F1. Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, hybrids are not necessarily evil. You know, some people get them mixed up with GMOs, but they're not They're not necessarily evil. Uh, we grow hybrids, right? So, hybrid, so GMO seeds have serious health and environmental concerns that continue to mount. Um, like I just said, hybrid seeds are not evil. We all are hybrids. Hybrids are not evil. We grow hybrid seeds. We have grown hybrid seeds, um, and they can they are they can make good food. But the main thing that you have to remember is that you cannot necessarily save the seed and expect to get the same uh, crop back from them. Hybrid seeds can have some added vigor, uniformity, and disease resistance. That's why they breed or, and crossbreed different varieties to try and get the disease resistance from one and the big beautiful produce from another type of scenario. Um, but like I mentioned, hybrid seeds will not produce true to type. All right, here we go. There is evidence that nutritional content may be superior in open pollinated varieties. So that's something to consider when you are purchasing seed. And if you want to save your own seed, then you're going to want to use open pollinated or heirloom seeds. 
Now, saving seed is unique to different plants. We're not going to get into the details about saving seed in our, um, in our session today. That can have a whole class on its own. Yeah. And you will want to have a good book to guide you or to go online. A good book, if you want to write one down, if you're interested in saving seeds, is a book called Seed to Seed. Seed to Seed. That's an excellent resource on saving seeds if that is something that you're interested in. Here are a few seed companies that we have bought from over and over again that are safe, quality seed companies that we've had good success and results with. Number one is Johnny's Selected Seeds. We put the state where they're from in there as well, so if you want to purchase seeds closer to you, you can pick the seed company that is closer to you. So Johnny's Selected Seeds in Maine, High Mowing Seeds in Vermont. High Mowing Seeds, all of their seeds are organic. Um, so it's kind of a neat thing about their company is every single one of them is organic. Uh, Baker's Creek Heirloom Seeds in Missouri, the neat thing about them is all of their seeds are heirloom, as, as is mentioned in their name, right? Um, Southern or at least open pollinated. Yeah, that's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah open pollinated. Yeah. Um, Southern Exposure in Virginia. Uh, Territorial Seeds in Oregon. And Peaceful Valley in California. Peaceful Valley in California. If you did not catch all of those, we will have these slides available afterwards, so you can, you can get those slides. All right. Um, you, when looking for seed companies, I mean, I would suggest starting out with the ones we just gave you. Otherwise, if you're looking for another seed company, what we would encourage you to do is look for a company that takes the safe seed pledge. And basically, that means that they do not knowingly sell genetically modified seeds or plants that have been crossed with them, etc. And there are a lot of companies that have done that. Yeah. All right, so how do you choose your seed variety? Um, how many of you like it? Just a few tips so you don't get bogged down in 50 different types of tomatoes, right? Number one question to ask yourself is, do you want to save your seeds? That's going to immediately narrow it down to open pollinated or heirloom. Um, number two is we would encourage you to pick a seed company or two, okay? So we just gave you six, but we would encourage you to pick one or two, uh, probably the ones that are closest to you. Uh, they will most likely have seeds that are more tailored to your growing area. Uh, and stick with, start out with a seed company or two. Then you can order a catalog or most, I think all of these have websites online that you can go and look up the seeds online. And then just a couple tips when it comes to actually picking a variety is number one, a great idea is to go and ask your local farmers. Ask them, hey, what are your, what's your favorite, what have you had the best success with tomatoes or cucumbers? You know, what's your favorite variety? Um, that is, and by the way, we will also give you a handout that includes some of our favorite varieties. So if you just want to go and pick one of our favorite varieties, you can, you can do that as well. Uh, then another thing is watch reviews. Some of the seed companies online, they have reviews on the different seeds and you can just check the star ratings on those and those can be an excellent place to get ideas. Um, or like I said, you can use um, some of our favorites as well. Otherwise, you know, beyond that, it's really a matter of just making a decision, right? Going in there and picking one of them. So if you wanna go the easy way, use one of our varieties, favorites. Again, some of the seed companies will identify whether this, this variety is, is heat tolerant, 
or it's frost tolerant. You know, there, um, and it, so for example, if you want to grow lettuce in the summer and you live in the southeast, um, that can be challenging, but there are some heat tolerant varieties. So, you know, think about your, the, the timing, when you're wanting to do it, where you are, um, think about your context and, and choose varieties that, that are appropriate to, to where you live and the time that you're wanting to grow it. Another thing that can narrow it down a lot for you is if you want to choose to grow organic. And then yeah. that will narrow down. You just want to pick the organic seeds that those seed companies sell. And so you just drill down to the organic section, right? Or just look for the organic uh, little so label. Organic seeds are seeds that were, that were produced from plants that were grown organically. Yeah. Uh, and using organic methods. And I personally believe there are benefits to um, using organic seeds. Yeah. Um, we won't go into all of that right now. All right, so that is the first section, all right? First section, quick recap. Choose what to grow. Choose what variety of that plant you want to grow. So I want to grow tomatoes, but I want to grow a beefsteak tomato. That's the variety, right? Or a sun gold cherry tomato. And then choose what seed company that you're going to purchase from. Once again, in that handout, we're going to give you the worksheet. There's little columns. You can just write these right in, so it makes it a lot easier. Number two, part two to planning our three-step formula for planting your garden is choosing where to grow those crops in your garden, actually mapping out your garden space, right? So number one is you want to look for areas in your, in your, in your garden or around your house, I should say, that get the most sun. Now some of you, huh, okay, let me ask a question. How many of you already have your garden space planned out, like mapped out? All right. All right, so it's like maybe half of you, maybe a little more than half of you, okay? So some of you already have figured out where your garden is going to be. If you haven't, you're going to want to look for the sunniest place, uh, the place that gets the most sun around your house. Most crops do best with six to eight hours of full sun. South-facing slopes will stay warmer in the winter just because of the angle of the sun here in the northern hemisphere. That also includes, um, <laughs> is this what you're going to say? Probably. Yeah, <laughs> the, the south-facing part of your house, right? So um, if you're thinking of extending your season into the winter uh, or just growing earlier in the spring or later in the fall, you're going to get the most sun. But yet, even in the, well, the summer, it would be more half and half. But I, I, another thing I'd like to add is that, for example, if you're, if you're living in the, in the northern part of this country, um, the south-facing slope has, has advantages in, in the, the fall, winter, and spring growing because it's a lot warmer. Um, but if you're in the southern part of this country, um, that, that warmth advantage isn't as significant in the wintertime because you're already pretty warm. But um, that south slope is going to be a lot hotter and drier in the summer. So, you know, you, you have to balance those kind of things too. Yeah. Excellent. So in hot zones like Southern Florida, you may actually want to look for the cooler climate zone, like maybe the northern side of your house. If you're wanting to keep things cooler, especially uh, like your greens, your lettuces, your spinach, those are plants that like cooler 
weather. Uh, and they can grow okay even in a little bit of more shade as well. Here are crops that do better in shade. Veggies grown for their leaves or roots will do best in the shade. So if you don't have a lot of sun or you have a space that doesn't get as much sun, this is a great place to put some of these leaves or root vegetables. So beets, carrots, garlic, potatoes, radishes, onions, those would be kind of like your roots ones, right? Asian greens, broccoli, cabbage, collards, kale, lettuce, spinach, Swiss chard, etc. All those leafy vegetables, they're going to do a little bit better in the shade if, they, if you have a place that doesn't get as much sun. So the next step is mapping out your garden space. You're, you picked where you're going to put it like in your backyard or around your house or out in the field, right? And the next part is mapping out your garden space uh, with a pen and paper. So you're going to want to lay out your garden beds. And personally, we suggest 30-inch wide beds. This is, this is a recommendation. Everybody is, you know, you're free to do whatever size garden beds you want. Or if you're doing raised beds, often those are four by eight. That's kind of a standard size raised bed. It would be four feet wide, eight feet long. And those are definitely valid as well. If you're just going to grow in the ground, we recommend 30-inch wide beds because, number one, they are easy to step and reach across. So you're not, like, trying to fall into your, you know, you don't end up falling into your bed just trying to reach the middle of it, right? And there are actually a lot of tools that are made for 30-inch wide beds. It's kind of become, to a certain extent, a standard among a large section of small-scale farmers. I know many of you are doing this on a home scale, right? But you can still buy tools that are made for that size that the same tools that farmers use, and it, and it makes it a lot more efficient for you in your garden as well. And then uh, we encourage 12 to 18-inch aisles. For most home gardens, I would encourage an 18-inch aisle. 12-inch aisles are pretty narrow. Uh, this is what farmers do to maximize their space as they make these tiny little aisleways that they walk down, right? Uh, but if you have the space, if you have the space, you might want a little bit of a wider aisle. The, the issue with a 12-inch aisle is when you're squatting to work in your bed, your, your feet are in the aisle, but your, your rear might be... Um, Hitting the plants on the other side. Squashing plants behind you. Yeah. And also another issue is like if you have bins that you're harvesting with, they don't really fit in those 12 inches. Yeah. So you're kind of... Anyways, farmers figure out ways to get around these things, but <laughs> we want to make it easy for you. All right. So that's our suggestion with mapping out your garden beds and your aisles. Here is a plug-and-play garden plan that... Do you want another bonus resource? All right, so uh, we decided we're going to give you... We're calling this session the Backyard Garden Blueprint, right? So we want to give you an actual blueprint for a garden plan, okay? So in the resources you are going to be able to download this exact garden blueprint plan. This is a plan that we used to grow over $1,000 worth of food in a small backyard size space, okay? It's 15 feet by 20 feet, um, which is actually a pretty small space if you think about it. 15 feet by 20 feet. And we'll, let's see, does this have a pointer on it? Here we go. Yeah. So you'll notice that um, these are 30-inch wide beds, 
Um, they are 20 feet long here. And in this example, we have a one-foot pathway. Again, you may want to do that a little bit larger, all right? And we'll talk a little bit more about how the plants are spaced in here. But right now, I just want you to check out the whole picture as a whole. And so you are welcome and free to take this and literally plug and play it into your garden and just grow the exact same thing or swap out some of the veggies. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, or this can be used as just a visual example of what it looks like to map out your garden space. And you could just draw your own. Um, using this as, a, as an example. So when it comes to mapping out your garden, one of the things to keep in mind is crop rotation. Um, how many of you have heard of crop rotation or know what it is? Okay, so it looks like we have a good, a good, a good number of you. In a nutshell, crop rotation is, uh, let's see, in a nutshell, well, you asked the question, why rotate your crops, right? Plants give and take from the soil in different ways. So in a nutshell, crop rotation means that Instead of growing a tomato in the same space year after year after year, you're going to actually move that to a, the next year. You're going to grow your tomato in a different place in the garden, um, and you're going to grow lettuce in the place that it was growing before, right? That, that is what we're talking about when it comes to rotating your crops. And one of the main reasons is because plants give and take from the soil in different ways. So if you grow one plant in the same place over and over, you're going to deplete your soil um, over time. Um, just in the way that that crop takes from the soil. Some plants are heavy feeders from the soil. Some plants are lighter feeders from the soil. Uh, also, insect and disease control. There are certain diseases that are soil-borne. Uh, we had an issue with this when we were working with Bountiful Blessings Farm, and we had a black rot on our brassicas. That Brassicas are your kale and cabbage, etc. And it was a soil-borne... It was a black rot, right? Yeah. It was a soil-borne disease, and we literally had to grow our cabbage and kale across the road for several years while that soil-borne disease died out. And then we could bring it back and grow them again because it stayed in the soil. So that's a, a real-life example of how crop rotation can help with um, disease control. Um, insect control, you know, frankly, on a home scale, you're, it's probably small enough that it's not going to do a, a huge amount with insects, but um, those are some of the benefits. And then also, crops can affect the next crop that's grown. Um, when a crop is grown in the soil, the way it interacts with the soil, etc., can affect uh, how well the next crop grows, and so that's another benefit of crop rotation. For example, legumes leave nitrogen in the soil, and I want you to remember that. Legumes leave nitrogen in the soil. They fix nitrogen in the soil um, as long as you have the right uh, microbe. What is that? Rhizobia. Rhizobia. Yeah. yeah, as long as you have the right rhizobia in your soil, the legumes will, and often legumes come pre-treated with the rhizobia on the seed so that it makes sure that it um, fixes that nitrogen into the soil. Um, and then that nitrogen can be used on your next crop. And, and I want you to remember that because we're going to go over real quick a simple crop rotation plan, and we'll see how that can benefit your growing. So this is a simple crop rotation plan. It comes with the plug-and-play garden plan. And it's a four-year crop rotation plan. So number one, you have legumes. And when you're making a crop rotation, you want to rotate crops by their families, by their families, okay? So 
We're going to go over this pretty quickly and um, try and make it as simple as possible for you. But this is a simple crop rotation plan that you can easily plug into your garden. So number one is you have legumes here. So those are like your beans, green beans, peas, peanuts. Um, many cover crops are legumes as well. So that's your legume family. The next section are your roots. So that includes carrots, turnips, onions, radishes, beets, and we also put in there dill, cilantro, and parsley, some herbs in the root section, all right? Next section is your fruits and grains. That includes your tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, cucumber, squash, corn, potatoes, all right? Those are the nightshade families, melon, squash, and grasses families. And then the fourth section are your leaves and flowers. So your salad greens, lettuce, spinach, cabbage, kale, broccoli, cauliflower. And these families are your sunflower, coal, and goosefoot families right here. So I'm going to jump to the next slide. So here's that plug and play garden plan, all right? So this has that crop rotation incorporated into it. So for example, right down here is your legumes. Um, here are your roots, your radishes, carrots, beets, onions, and then your herbs. Fruits and grains right here in this bed, and then leaves and flowers here in the top bed. So the way the crop rotation works is you'll notice that where, so year number one, you grow roots in this bed. Year number two, legumes moves and grows in the bed that the roots were growing in. You guys following me? Same, year number one, fruits and grains grow here, and then year number two, the roots move and grow where the fruits and grains were growing. So here in our example, here are our legumes. Who remembers what moves where the legumes were? Leaves and flowers, you guys got it. Man, you guys are smart, okay. so. Yes, leaves and flowers are going to move down and are going to be planted the second year where the legumes were growing, and these legumes are going to be planted where the roots were growing. Now, here's a fun thing. What was it that legumes leave in the soil? Nitrogen. Your leafy plants will do better with nitrogen. Um, in fact, leafy plants can use more nitrogen um, because they're not fruiting. So you're eating the leaves off of them, and nitrogen builds beautiful, lush leaves. Yeah, nitrogen helps with the growth and, and leafy production of the plants. In fact, too much nitrogen can make your plants produce small fruit or, or no fruit if there's way too much nitrogen, but usually just uh, smaller fruit. So, um, so that's an, an example of how your crop rotation plant can help and benefit your garden plant. So that's something that you can easily put into your um, plan for your garden. So the, the next step is actually taking this crop rotation plan and figuring out where are you going to place each crop in your garden, right? So what I would encourage you to do is to divide your garden into four equal sections. If you want to do it simply and you want to use this um, rotation plan, then divide your garden into four equal sections and then plan your crops based on the four kinds in the crop rotation plan. Just split your crops up into those four sections in your garden um, based on their families in that crop rotation plan. Then comes the question, what if they don't fit? What if you want to grow more of something in one space than will fit in that area, right? So if you want to do that, um, an example of that is with fruits and grains. 
Um, and what we encourage you to do is to then double that section. So instead of four, you're going to end up with five because you're going to double that one section with the fruits and grains and split it by family. I'll give you an example here. Let's see. So for example, with the fruits and grains, let's say you want to grow more corn, right? Because uh, corn takes a bit, a bit larger of a space. So what you would do is you would create a fifth bed here and you would plant it with corn, which becomes your grasses family. And then you would have your families, your nightshades and melons. On the fifth bed would be grasses. And then you would have the, your sunflower, coal, and goosefoot. And that keeps a rotation where you're not growing the same family two years in a row. You so guys what, following me? So what we call the, the original plan that, that we've made is a, is a four-year rotation. So within four years, you're going to be back to where you started. Um, what Paul was saying here now, adding a fifth one gives you a five-year rotation. Yeah. And actually, the more, the, the more years rotation you have, generally, the better it is. Yeah. So if that, if that was all too complex, you can just copy and use this right here, right? <laughs> um, but if you want to take it to the next level, then you can start splitting out those beds if you want to grow more of, of a certain variety or a certain, certain family in your garden. Um, all right. Let's see if we can go... All right, so then the next step, once you have your garden space mapped out, you've, you've planned out your garden beds and everything, the next step is ordering your seeds. And you will then just go through your crop list and make a seed order for the varieties that you picked. Um, then how much seed should you order? Now, basically, you want to order the amount of seed based on how much you want to grow. But remember that seed is cheap. So it's always better to have a little extra seed than to run out. All right? It's always better to have a little extra than to run out. And seed is actually very cheap, all things considered. Um, so I would just, you know, for many home garden size, you can get the smallest seed packet, and it usually has plenty of seed for what you want to grow. Unless you're growing something like carrots or beets, where you are wanting to grow a lot more space of them. Anyways, in the seed companies, they'll, tell you, they'll give you little um, guides on how much seed per, per, um, per bed or per row that you're growing, etc. So um, always err on the side of a little more seed than less. All right, so quick recap. The first part of planning your garden is choosing what to grow, right? what you're going to grow, the variety, etc. Second part is choosing where you're going to grow it, mapping out your garden space, figuring out your crop rotation plan. Third part here is the timing of when to grow your garden. When do you actually plant those things out so that you're not just going through your season, running by the seat of your pants, not sure when you should be planting your tomatoes, your cucumbers, etc. So we're going to share with you very briefly what we call our perpetual harvest hack. Um, gardening is full of decisions. Uh, everything that we do in the garden, you're making decisions here and there. And really, it's the simple art to garden successfully and easily without much effort or overwhelm. It's the simple art of knowing um, what to do, that's your plan, how to do it, those are your actions, and doing it at the right time, when to do it, doing it at the right time. 
the power of what we call our perpetual harvest hack is if you can have all of those three things in one. So when you wake up this morning, you can have something that tells you what to do and how to do it today, right? So you know when to do it, what to do, and how to do it all in one place. We're going to go through this very quickly. Um, I'm going to speed through here on, on these real fast, if I can, if I can get the clicker to go. All right. What to do it includes like the list of crops you're going to grow, seeding, transplanting, cultivating, watering, trellising, harvesting, etc., including what we call succession or leapfrog planting. Um, how many of you uh, are familiar with succession planting or, or leap? We kind of coined the term leapfrog planting. Basically, what it is, is um, each time you harvest something from your garden, you have something that's ready to go in its place. So you can have this continual harvest out of your garden. Does that make sense? Um, this is why we call it our perpetual harvest hack. Um, so that you can have this continual harvest from your garden. An example is if you're growing a head of lettuce, let's say you harvest that head of lettuce. Well, what if you had a transplant that, of lettuce that was ready to go in its place so that you could just have a continual harvest of lettuce for that season? Does that make sense? Um, another example is with peas. Peas are something that are grown in the spring, in the early spring. Well, what if you had green beans that were ready to plant in the place that the peas were growing as soon as you take those peas out. Does that make sense? So you just keep a continual, uh, a continual stand of crops in your garden that you're harvesting from every single week. Uh, the problem is succession or leapfrog planting can be complex. You gotta figure out when to plant your first crop, how long it's going to be harvested, what's that harvest window, um, Oh, how long before it will be harvested? Like, what's the days to maturity? How long is the harvest window? Um, then when to plant the second leapfrog crop so that it's ready to go in when the first one comes out, right? Um, plus figure out how long in the season the crop can be grown. And then you've got to repeat that for each crop because they're all different. How many of you think that sounds complex to figure out? It is, frankly, it is. It really, the, here's the interesting thing, though. Like, it really doesn't take, take that much work to plant a seed or to transplant it into your garden. A lot of the complexity comes with figuring out the timing of all of those succession plantings and, and working that into a plan that's easy for you to implement um, so that you're not forgetting different, different things, right? It, it can be complicated um, unless you use what we call our perpetual harvest hack. Um, and we'll show you that in just a second here. Um, the second part, remember the first part is what to do, how to do it. Um, that's how to seed your starts, how to transplant, how to cultivate, how to build healthy soil, how to trellis your plants, how to extend your season into the winter without breaking your pocketbook. By the way, a lot of these we're going to be covering in our, in our seminar series here. Um, so that's kind of cool. And then the third part is knowing when to do it um, at making sure you have it done at the right timing. The timing of when to seed, the timing of succession plantings, when you should be transplanting, when you should be harvesting. And ultimately, if you can put all of these into a calendar that will keep you on track throughout your season, it can make it a lot easier for you. Does that make sense? Having a planting calendar, 
So we encourage you to create a planting calendar or we'll give you a resource that you can use as a planting calendar if you're interested in that. And when it comes down to executing your garden, having a, having a planting calendar that keeps you on track so every week you know what you should be doing for that week is gonna take a lot of stress and a lot of overwhelm out of your life and the process of growing your garden. Um, instead of just kind of, like I said before, running by the seat of your pants, not knowing exactly when to be, when to be doing this. Uh, to, and to take it to the next level is if you can have a weekly checklist of what to do. Uh, gives extreme clarity. So let's talk about how you can create your own planting schedule in just minutes. Um, how would you like to be able to create your gardening calendar in just minutes. So right now there are resources available. Like if you want to go out and create your planting calendar, you can do that. Um, for example, Johnny's Seeds has a spring and fall planting calculators. Basically these are Excel spreadsheets where you go in and you put what your average last frost date is, for example. And it will spit out and tell you when you should be seeding your beets or when you should be seeding your kale, right? And then you just scroll down the spreadsheet and then you'll manually take that and put it into a paper calendar, a flip calendar, or you know, your Google calendar or whatever. Just a, we're, we're gonna talk more about this later, but particularly for um, fall, winter, and spring, the, you know, when you buy seeds, usually you have something called days to maturity. That's the, the average amount of time it takes from, from seeding to um, maturity when you can harvest. But in, in the fall, winter, and, and spring, um, days get longer. And, and so your, your days to maturity gets longer. And so that's, that's the reason for these special calculators, because in those seasons, you can't use days to maturity. Yeah. And you, you have a moving scale because as the day get long, gets longer and longer, you have a longer and longer wait. Yeah. So. Yeah, so we can, we can give you links out to these resources. Another one is the GrowVeg Garden Planning app. Um, we have not used it extensively. I did jump in there. One of the things that I found with it was it did not seem as intuitive as I would have liked it to be. Uh, but it is an app where you can map out your garden space and then plan your, plan your crop planting schedules and stuff like that. And I think that they send you a, like a weekly email or something telling you, um, you know, what, what to do in your garden at the different times. The, the thing about a lot of these resources that are available is that they can still take quite a bit of work when it comes to actually planting your garden because, like for example, with the planting calculators, you, have, you put in your frost date, but then you still have to manually put that over to your, your calendar. You still have to do that manual process. And a lot of them do not have simple succession planting. Like, you, you're still going to have to figure out your own succession planting, right? So, um, we want to share with you uh, something that we are very excited about, um, and that is after, after a while of teaching home gardeners, uh, we had in our minds this idea, and it developed and it formed over time. What if we could create a tool that made planning your garden extremely simple, extremely easy, told you exactly what to do, how to do it, and when to do it all in one place, all at one time. So we wanted to give you a little demonstration of something that is hot off the press. Um, and we call it 
We are calling it Seed Time. This is a gardening calendar app that we is currently in development. Um, and basically, it is a click and drop gardening calendar. And I'm going to see if my wife, Natasha, hey, hon. Um, hon, do you mind going back to the back there? And we're going to, um, don't switch it out quite yet. I've got a couple more slides, but we're going to switch over and going to show you just a very simple demonstration of how this app works. Um, you know, the story behind it is we, my dad and I, perhaps a bit rashly, we promised our gardening students that we would give them weekly checklists of what to do in their garden based on their location. And then afterwards, you're like, man, that was a, bit, a lot bigger task than, <laughs> than maybe we really, like I said, maybe it was a bit of a rash promise. Um, and we, so we started, we looked for different resources and tools, and we couldn't find anything that really made it that much easier for us to fulfill on that promise. So after doing a ton of research, and building out a massive gardening calendar spreadsheet, we ended up turning that spreadsheet into click and drop gardening calendars that our users could use. The only problem was that these click and drop, our first version of our click and drop gardening calendars, is there anyone here that is one of our members? Yes. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so the f problem with our initial click-and-drop gardening calendars is that they weren't customizable. They did have succession plantings, but people couldn't move those plantings around or adjust them to their specific um, area, etc. So we, we had this dream of creating our own app, building it from the ground up, and adding a lot more functionality, and that is where seed time comes in. When we first launched it, launch these calendars out to our gardening community, um, the, the chat literally kind of went crazy. <laughs> People were so excited about it. Um, and um, the, the feedback that we've had from our users on our initial calendars has been absolutely phenomenal. And so we are really, really excited to just take it to the next level with our Seed Time app. So maybe we can switch out to, um, would, it, would you guys like a, just a simple, quick, um, look over of how the app works. All right, we'll give you a quick demonstration here. Let's see if it comes up. All right. So, I guess this screen is, is clearer. I don't know. This one's a little blurry. Um, so, we're going to come over here and look at this screen here. So, in a nutshell, you, will have, you get a calendar that's based on your location, both your last, first and last frost dates. On the left-hand side, um, you can add a crop, and yeah, number one, let's, let's go ahead and just, yeah, we'll demonstrate how on the left-hand side, you'll have like this list of crops that you can grow, and you can click to turn them on and off and drop them into your calendar, and it will drop them in based on your location, telling you when to seed it, when to transplant it, an expected harvest time for your, for your location, right? So you have the months here. Um, and those little tasks will get dropped into your calendar based on your growing zone. Um, now, what if you want to add a custom crop? Um, Hun, if you could jump up here to this little add a crop button. Yep. You can come in here and choose select a crop. There will be a bunch of default crops that you can put in, or you can choose to select a new crop. Um, let's go ahead and just add cucumbers, for example. You can add a new crop where you input everything, or you can add one that already has inputs in it. Um, so this one is already set up. All we need to do is just select the color down here. 
otherwise it will turn out black. And maybe let's just choose, yeah, choose that green. And then click Save. Click it one more time. Yep. And that will add a cucumber planting. You'll notice it showed up in the left here into your calendar as well. Another thing that you can do is, um, Hun, let's go ahead and turn, turn a lot of these back on. So with the carrots and kale, let's say that you have your garden planned. Um, turn, yeah, and the carrots and cabbage and broccoli. Let's just turn a whole bunch of them on. Excellent. So another thing that you can do is you can, we are going to have a very simple filter where you can filter to just only see the specific tasks that you want to see in your garden. So for example, you can turn off bed preparation and transplanting and harvesting. And so you can only look at what needs to be seeded. So you can just get a quick idea of what needs to be seeded in your garden coming up. So you can make, plan your seed orders. Or if you turn off seeding and turn on harvesting, you can get a quick idea of when you can expect to harvest those different crops from your garden. So you can plan your garden based off of when you want to be harvesting different crops. This can be especially helpful, for example, if you're planning a vacation and you're growing tomatoes that you want to can. You don't want all of those tomatoes to be ripe over your vacation, right? Or ripening. So you want to make sure your tomatoes are harvesting earlier. All right. Um, let's go ahead and turn those tasks back on. And then, so you'll be able to view your whole calendar at a glance like this. You can also move plantings. So maybe grab this, grab this seeding cauliflower up at the top here and move it a week earlier. So you can move, the, move your plantings and it will move it in your calendar. We're going to actually have a little warning box come up. Actually, when you move them, it's going to kind of gray out the times of year that that crop may not do as well in. So you'll have an idea of when you, that, that, that growing window space that you can grow that crop in, um, and it'll pop up a little warning box if you move it out of that. Now, we're going to allow you to move it out of that if you really want to, um, so you still have that flexibility, but we want to just give you that, those warnings. You'll be able to view your year at a glance like this, or let's go up to the top right and click on the timeline. You can also view your year in a timeline like this. And we are incorporating in this automatic succession spacing if you want to have a continual harvest from your garden. For example, with the carrots here, if you turn on carrots number two and number three, you'll see that those pop in and you have an expected harvest time of carrots here on number one. Carrots number two is going to start ripening right when carrots one is being finished harvesting. Does that make sense? So it makes it very extremely easy and simple to plan those succession plantings into your garden. In this timeline view, you can also drag those crop plantings around so you can move them to exactly where you want them uh, to be, um, etc., which also is helpful for planning those succession, succession plantings. Um, a neat thing that we, like I said, this, this is currently in development. We also will have a frost zone that, that you can turn on and off so you can get a quick idea of when you should be looking out for a frost in your garden. And uh, 
Another really awesome feature that we don't currently have set up to demonstrate is that every single week you will get a checklist that automatically compiles from your gardening calendar plan. So you can just go to your checklist and it will say this week you should be uh, seeding your carrots, you should prepare your bed for your, make sure your bed is ready to, because you're going to be transplanting your, uh, your, your kale. Uh, and you can expect to be harvesting during this time, et cetera, et cetera. So every single week you can come into that list and just check it off. And it, it, there'll be a, an actual checklist. You can actually just check off the tasks as you go along and just keep you on track a lot simpler and a lot easier. So we are super, super excited about it. Basically what we are trying to do is make something that is the simplest and easiest way for you to be able to plan your garden and keep everything um, in Keep, keep everything in one place and keep you on track with your garden. Fantastic. So come back 9.30 and we will look forward to seeing you then. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.